Good morning, Richard Price. Richard, it's Mac from Tapstream. How are you, sir? Hey, Mac. Thanks for your time this morning. Let's 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 start right at the top. Um, my name's Mac. I work for a company called Tapstream. We do app marketing. Um, I was on the Twitter where I spend a lot of time, and I came across a Smithsonian Magazine article about this amazing app that was actually changing the world. So why don't we have you? And, and then I took Richard's app and I brought that to Product Hunt and I posted up Product Hunt and they did well there. Lots of love from all the people. Now tell us about what that app is, Richard. Okay, so what our app does is alert CPR trained citizens and off-duty professionals like police officers and firefighters of a nearby need for CPR. So if somebody has a cardiac arrest, um, they collapse, somebody dials 911 and reports it, our software running in the 911 center recognizes that it's a cardiac arrest, knows the location of the call, uh, and as the dispatch center dispatches resources just as they normally would, uh, our, our software will activate these citizens and professionals that have opted in and are carrying our application. We look to see who's nearby, um, and then we show them a map uh, where they are, where that patient's reported to be, and any nearby AEDs or public defibrillators uh, so they can get those out of the cabinet, get those on the patient's chest, and begin PPR while the professionals are traveling to the scene. So it is like faster than the first line of defense on CPR. It is. When somebody has a cardiac arrest, they only have a few minutes to survive. Um, and those first few minutes are critical. And when you look at where the paramedics are based, you know, where the fire stations are, where the paramedics posts are, even in very, very good system, response times can be seven, eight, nine minutes. Uh, in rural areas, they can be much, much larger than that. So we've always known that early CPR and early defibrillation is important. That's why we train all our CPR, or we train all our citizens in CPR. Um, but the missing link is you have to be in the exact right place at the exact right time. You know, you collapse and somebody sees you who knows CPR, um, that's great. But um, if, you're, if you're with people who don't know CPR, unwilling to do CPR, Somebody might be just on the floor above you or in the business next door who's, you know, an emergency room doctor or a paramedic um, that is just a few feet away. And um, that's actually what happened to me um, as a, a, a fire chief and um, was nearby an event, didn't know about it until the crew arrived with lights and siren. And that whole time they were traveling to the scene, you know, I could have been making a difference with that patient. When you said that happened to me, you were the you were the fire chief. Yeah, so um, I was a fire chief, and I was uh, having lunch. Man, I heard a siren, and you know, just like you do, and I saw the lights, uh, and then they got closer and closer, and then they pulled up right where I was eating, and I found out right next door somebody had uh, collapsed and was laying there unconscious, uh, and I was unaware of it until they arrived. So was that the genesis? Was that the moment where this whole thing kind of hit you and you were like, I need to have been in there. How could I have done that? I'm going to invent an app. Yeah, that's really where it all started. Um, you know, as the fire chief, I've been working hard in, in my community to get people trained in CPR, and get public defibrillators out in 
uh, places of assembly and uh, they're doing all the right things, but it sort of dawned on me that you can be awful close and, and not be aware of an event. And I thought about how the firefighters knew about that event when I didn't, even though I was so much closer, and it was because they had radios and they were dispatched. They didn't need to see somebody in need to be able to help them. And although I didn't have a radio with me, I had my cell phone with me, and like most of us, always have our cell phones with us. Uh, and that was uh, where the idea came from. So I interview a lot of like fancy venture capitalists and you know high tech startup CEOs and the like while I do this show. It's the first time I've ever interviewed a fireman, and I love this because what you've done is you've taken your expertise, you've taken what you know to be so well, and then you have applied the mobile model to solving those problems, which is awesome, incredible. But how do you do that? Like a lot of people say, oh, I've got an app idea, and then they come tell me people about it, and then they go to the bar, and then. They never really think about it again. But you you brought this thing to life to the point where you've actually had lives saved using your app, correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, we're activating the app uh, sometimes a dozen times a day now um, in more than 1,100 uh, cities and definitely making uh, a difference. But, the you know, as you know, the original idea is sometimes the easy part uh, and to actually get it done is hard. Um, I took it down a path of a nonprofit, so we are a 501c3. Um, we use all volunteer developers. Uh, there's a, uh, a cloud-based um, company here in the Bay Area called Workday um, that does finance and uh, HR software, and they actually donate all the engineering for the application. And that's one thing that makes it possible. Originally, we turned to a university. We brought interns into the fire department uh, out of uh, NKU, Northern Kentucky University. Those interns were the initial uh, team that uh, built the application along with the fire department staff. Uh, and once that prototype was built, we tested it a year for about 200,000 people in our community, um, had great success, and then turned to Workday um, as, a, as a way to scale and uh, using, uh, you know, a very professional enterprise uh, corporation to, to be able to build it for, for scale. Uh, that's amazing. How long have you been doing this for? When did the first version of the app hit the world? Uh, around... 2009 is where this all started, um, and by 2011, we had it tested um, for a year. And so it took us a year, about a year, uh, a year to test, and then in 2011, the fire department uh, said, look, we, we can't support this inside a fire department, and that's when we caused the foundation to be uh, to be formed and moved into the profit uh, and, and started bringing in volunteer engineers. It was a vol completely volunteer organization for, for several years um, and to get to where we are today. And, and is this your full-time day job now? Like, Do you worry about this 100% of the time or are you still acting in the fire department as well? It's um, a couple of years of uh, you know, doing both, doing this, running the foundation as a volunteer and continuing to be a fire chief. Uh, but I did uh, leave the fire service to pursue uh, the Pulse Point Foundation full-time. 
Um, you know, I was working very hard in my community to improve cardiac arrest survival, um, but this gives me the opportunity to do that on, on a global scale and to make a much larger impact in cardiac arrest survival. So I just viewed it as a rare opportunity to, um, to be able to make a difference in the world, and it is what I think about full-time for sure. So I, I have this sort of basic tenant about mobile, and what excites me about mobile is that every single structure in our entire society, everything, our food systems, our emergency systems, our communication systems, everything was built on the historical precedent that we could not create or consume data in real time. And now with these phones, all of us are constantly consuming and creating data, and that allows you to build an app like you've built because you're able to communicate with these people in real time. What's exciting to me is that the entire world is going mobile, right? There's, there's parts of the world where access to food is an issue, but cell phones are semi-prevalent. Um, and the reason that's interesting is because what you've built as far as I'm envisioning it, really could scale globally, like in rural communities in the middle of the field, in the middle of nowhere, this could still be useful if there's somebody closer than, as I said, the paramedics. What challenges do you see with scaling this to a global level? What are the big hindrances that are going to get in your way? Well, one, one thing that uh, we, we face in, in every implementation is we have to integrate with the local 911 system. So sometimes that's a regional system, like in Los Angeles County. We can uh, implement in Los Angeles County, and then we cover a very large area, 58 cities in Southern California with one implementation. Um, but right next door, LA City Fire Department, um, has its own 911 system. So we have to implement there as well. And so as we move from uh, agency to agency, we do have to implement in, in every 911 center. So we've been working very hard to reduce the costs to do that, um, to streamline that process, to, you know, tackle that part of the, the implementation. And as we get into other countries and other 911 systems and other languages and things uh that, I think, will always be one of the, the biggest challenges we have. But if we want to have real-time information uh, on cardiac arrest, that, uh, that emergency call center is the one reliable place where we can get it. So uh, that, that's probably the biggest uh, challenge for scale that, that we have. But, um, but we're working through that. So when I first looked at this app, I misunderstood slightly, and I thought that the idea was I've got the app on my phone just because I'm aware of it. I'm a fan. I see somebody having cardiac arrest. I open the app, hit the, like, red alert button, and somebody else gets notified. When I figured out that you're pushing this through the 911 system, whoa, phone's still there? Yes. Yeah, still there? Yes. So when yes. I figured out that you were pushing this through 911, it was a revelation. Like, I, on the one hand, I was like, oh, my God, he's making this more complicated by adding this bureaucratic layer in the middle, and yet they are necessary, and I totally get it now. It makes perfect sense. That's the system that's in place for how people deal with responses, so to plug into that makes sense. Is there, in your mind, a vision of this in the future? Like, I honestly think you're going to revolutionize first responder care. I, I think this is crazy and amazing, and I love talking to you about it because I've told a couple people about this, and they're like, yeah, but they're not going to be able to get started. It's a fantastic idea. I'm like, shut the fuck up. They already saved a bunch of lives. They're killing it. They did not get started. They have 1,100 districts. They're done. 
my question to you is, do you see a future where this is more of a straight peer-to-peer network? I mean, obviously it goes through 9-11 as well, but do you have this idea that um, 9-11 could be not bypassed, but sort of a secondary channel as people connect to each other directly? Or do you think 9-11, 9-1-1, and its, and its um, existing sort of systems are paramount to your success moving forward? Yeah, we do believe that 911 uh, is strategic, and and that's uh, even though it's it's harder, it's more difficult, and we're trying to perfect that. Um, when people have an emergency, there's so much invested in the 911 system or, or other systems around the country. Not always 911 uh, around the world, but um, people know that system. They're trained from elementary school in that system, um, and to those dispatchers are trained to determine when it's safe for citizen response and when it's not. We don't send people to cardiac arrest when they've been electrocuted or if it's a drug overdose or there's there's reasons why we want that trained professional vetting that call for appropriateness of citizen response that is actually a cardiac arrest and not somebody who's maybe just tapped out because they've had too much to drink. Or, so there's a certain vetting and um, credibility that comes with using the, uh, the 911 system. Um, having somebody open an app to activate 911 would not be supported by local public safety agencies. So there's a lot of reasons why I think um, peer-to-peer is, is not the way to do this. Now, there are a lot of other uses for it besides cardiac arrest. I think you see the big storms we're having in the, uh, in the east right now. You've got people in buildings that can't get out. You've got ambulances that can't make it to those buildings. But inside those buildings are patients and also healthcare providers. There's doctors and nurses and paramedics that are also in those buildings who live there, who are you know, eating at the local restaurants and walking to the local coffee shops. And to have people in need with people able to provide services but using 911 uh, as the conduit for that, we think will lead to many, many other uh, types of, um, of responses uh, as, as we make the app more sophisticated and can vet the responders for certain types of emergencies and things like that. I mean, you can see lots yeah. of different, like, a, like a, say a police officer, if you were notifying off-duty police officers of crimes in progress, you know, it may not be a cardiac arrest next door, but it might be a bank being robbed next door or a child abduction or something where if local if police officers who were off-duty were aware of it, they might be excellent witnesses and um, and, and able to uh, provide a difference while you're not waiting for, you know, a patrol car to, to travel across town to get there. Um, and there's lots of other examples of, of people in need and people have skills. It might even just be to change a tire. I mean, it's at the lowest level. Somebody has a need. Somebody is willing to help. And, and that, that kind of level might finding peer-to-peer. Um, yeah. So then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scale, you know, it's like we really want to have verified responders and, and have those uh, responders vetted. So I think there's a whole range and a whole sort of class of apps um, that are going to be made available through sort of this this premise. So I realize you're a not-for-profit, but I'm in the habit of asking, how do you make money from this? And I've sat around actually fantasizing of all sorts of nearly Machiavellian and cruel ways that you could extrapolate not extrapolate, extract as much money as you wanted from this. I understand that that's not your mandate, but how do you keep this going so that in 10 years it's a stable thing that everybody trusts and likes as much as 911? 
Right, well, it's very important. I mean, having um, you know a business model that that fits this and, and keeps the sustainability of it. Um, how we do that is we charge the public safety agencies um, an annual fee to use the service. So if uh, most agencies pay five thousand dollars a year to use both one, that's for populations up to three hundred thousand people. Large agencies like Los Angeles pay $25,000 a year. So you've got these uh, different districts paying between five and 25K a year to have access to the system. That seems totally sustainable. That seems like that'll work in the long term. Um, what we know is that your major distribution advantage is also your major hurdle, and that is the 911 system. So what allow you to access people in a way that they trust, in a way that they know. They also have the infrastructural hurdles of existing, and as you expand, you need to deal with those more. We've also talked about this idea that you've tackled the, I wouldn't even call it the low-hanging fruit, you've tackled the incredible problem of CPR first and those electric paddle boards, but there's a huge number of other verticals, industries, problems, people, and situations where this model that you're sort of developing here could be applied. Um, two questions left for you. One is, have you met any resistance? Is there any of the districts who are like, no, this is a terrible idea, or is there people on the ground who don't like it? Do the ambulance people love you or hate you? Is there, is there anybody who's against what you're doing? Yeah, I think that there is, um, you know, there is a lot of support from public safety because they know, look, we can only get there so fast, and, and uh, more than 90% of people who have cardiac arrest outside the hospital don't survive, and it's because of this this length of time. They just can't get there in the first few minutes. So we have a lot of good support from public safety. Where we get resistance is I think people are concerned about apps that track their location. So we, if you opt into our system and, and you're CPR trained and you're willing to assist, we need to know where you are. So we do track your location. We don't track the history of your location. We try to use a lot of best practices around location-aware applications. But um, I would say we do get uh, people who say, I don't want an app to know where I am all the time. Um, so there's those types of uh, privacy concerns. Um, that's probably yeah. the biggest uh, criticism. Um, we get uh, criticism about people afraid that, uh, well, I want only the professionals to help me. I don't want some stranger to to help <laughs> me. Uh, so that they don't really understand that. You know, I bet they don't say that when they're choking it. to death on the ground. Yeah, but I mean that's kind of people think like, um, you know, if I dial nine one one, I want I want a uniformed paramedic uh, to 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 be there. I don't want you know uh, some guy from the coffee shop running over to help me who I don't know who he is. So that's um, those are probably two of the biggest um, sort of uh, points of resistance uh, that that we get. But overall, uh, Pulse Point has been widely, widely accepted and uh, recognized as uh, um, something that's going to be important to, to survival and, and filling this last, last gap that's so important to fill. Yeah, totally. Um, so my last question was, and I don't – so I've, I've probably done CTR training level one like twice in my life maybe. Um, and I'm totally uncomfortable ever responding to somebody who needed my help. Like, I, I'm not qualified. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I've often wondered for people, like, outside of your app, outside of any of this, if you are CPR trained, 
and you get called into battle, so to speak. I mean, I can't imagine what the fear and what, what that whole experience is like. Is there is there some concern of, like, saturating the first responders that you have on the ground? Is there any chance that a cop is going to get three messages in one weekend? about? And obviously he wants to reply to all of those. You know, like an off-duty cop wants to reply to all of those. But there's some balance of our life versus servitude. Have you hit that kind of density yet where that could be an issue, or is that a long way off? Kind of overexposure of your first responders, you know? Yeah, well, the the app is um, anonymous. You choose to respond or not. Um, we survey all our responders, so we'll say, did you respond? Some say they didn't. We ask them why they didn't, and and maybe they they say they had their kids with them. They were unable to leave what they were doing. They, you know, people don't always respond. Um, and I think probably uh, one out of three actually are notified actually respond, um, and. So you, you choose when you're able to respond and when you're not able to respond. Um, and, and the app is anonymous. So, so in the town where I was the fire chief, my mayor responded a couple of times. And, uh, but if the mayor didn't respond and everybody knew the mayor didn't respond, well, then that would be bad for him. And, uh, but it is anonymous. Yeah. We, know, we know the device. We notify the device in a, in a very yeah. anonymous way. And we have no way to determine whose device that is. That's, that uh, is done through an anonymous token. We notify the device. We know somebody's carrying that device, but uh, we don't know who it is, so we don't know who's responding and, and who's not. Brilliant. Okay, last question before we wrap this up. Um, tell me about the next year. What kind of things are you trying to get done next? I mean, did I did I catch you on a launch, or was it just Smithsonian covered you that day and that got me excited? So are you doing a press push now, or... What is what are your what are your big goals for the next year? Well, I think you know what happens with our app is every time a new city launches, they do a lot of uh, media push locally. So you know, last week we launched in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We launched in Madison, Wisconsin. So every time an agency launches, you know, you see a little bit of a media push, but that's coming from the agency. It's coming from the mayor. It's coming from the fire chief. It's coming from you know, elected officials, and and so you're you're seeing those uh, sort of those boosts to Pulse Point uh, in those individual agencies. Um, we have introduced a second application now called Pulse Point AED, and this application allows the community to crowdsource all the location of the public defibrillators. So even though there are a lot of defibrillators uh, out in the community, uh, not everybody knows where they're at. So we're using the second app to build the registry of AEDs and to maintain that registry so we can recommend the locations when there is cardiac arrests. So we've done um, a lot of work around that. That's a, a second application for us. Uh, we're gamifying that so people can become more mindful of their AEDs. Awesome. Um, okay, Richard, thank you so much for your time. This has been fascinating. I look forward to seeing this app arrive in Vancouver, Canada. I look forward to telling everybody about it. And uh, very grateful for your time. All right. And we're just about to launch in Canada, so I'll keep you posted. Please do. I will be a huge advocate for you when you get yourself up here. Okay. It, uh, it won't be long now. If you go into the app now, you can see Kingston, Ontario within the app. That's our first Canadian city. I was looking, actually. I was trying to see if there was any Canadian cities. Um, yeah. Awesome. Richard, again, thank you so much for your time. Okay, bye-bye.
Bye-bye.